You're listening to Rates and Lanes with Rico Mohammed. This is the show where we improve your knowledge of the freight market, improve your bottom line, and improve the transportation industry as a whole. We're talking rates and lanes. Let's move on down the audio road. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining us here on the Rates and Lanes podcast. I am your host, Rico Mohammed. Coming to you live tonight from Atlanta, Georgia. And tonight we are going to be joined by our esteemed legal counsel. Uh, Mr. Hank Seaton is with us for tonight's show. So if you got any legal questions, anything that you want to run past Hank, please go ahead and press number one. That puts you in the call queue for us to get your call screened in. Uh, my daughter, lovely daughter Fatina, is back screening phone calls for us tonight. So you go ahead and press number one. She'll get you screened in, and we'll get to you most expeditiously. Uh, We're going to start off tonight. So as we normally always do, uh, we're going to jump into this week's uh, USDA report from uh, from the USDA, the fruit and vegetable report, rather. And there's not a whole lot of movement. It's kind of died down from last week. We uh, don't have any particularly good news to report. Uh, there are no areas in the country that are reporting any types of shortages or slight shortages of loads to trucks in any areas. We do have two areas that are reporting surpluses. So then these two areas were in the shortage column last week. So it shows you how quickly things can change and turn around. And those two areas that are showing a slight surplus of trucks is Mexico crossing through Texas, Columbia bases, uh, excuse me, Mexico crossing through Texas and Texas as a as a whole, both of those areas are showing slight surpluses of trucks in the area versus loads that may be available. There is a link to that up on the Rates and Lanes Facebook page. If you want that full report, you can go right over there and get a copy of that report. It is there for your viewing pleasure. Uh, moving right along, jumping on over into the DAT report for this week of December 10th through the 16th. Last week, the national average van rate stepped back two cents to $2.08 per mile, but that was a three-year high experience. The uh, three-year, if I can talk, <laughs> but that was from a three-year high experience the week before. Reefer rates moved down four cents down to $2.36 per mile after hitting a three-year high during the Thanksgiving week, and flatbed prices increased by one cent up to $2.32 per mile on average across the country. A little bit more of a detailed approach, and let's jump into the van demand and capacity portion of the DAT trend lines report for the week of December 10th through the 16th. Van load postings declined by 1% and truck posts fell 7% last week. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to increase 9% from 7.2, moving upwards to 7.8 loads per truck. The national average van rate dipped by $0.02 per per mile on the spot market. Looking back historically, van load Van load load posts increased 11% in November compared to October, and truck posts fell 7%. As a result, the November load-to-truck ratio increased 19% to 6.9, 
van loads per truck, the highest monthly average in years. November ratio was 124% higher than it was at the same time in November of 2016. See how the uh, rates were performing for dry vans over that same time period of December 10th through the 16th. And we have, after hitting the highest van rate in three years during the previous week, last week the national average rate stepped down two cents to $2.08 per mile. Holiday freight is moving east to the major population centers as evidenced by raising rate, rising rates in Buffalo, New York, and Allentown, PA markets. Uh, taking a look back historically, national, the national average van rate for November increased $0.05 cents to $2.07 per mile compared to October. That's the highest monthly average in more than three years. That was $0.40 cents higher than the average the same time in November of 2016. Also, talking about the rates, let's take a look at diesel prices that moved down by 0.3%. So we have a national average price of diesel sitting at $2.90 per gallon. Jumping over to uh, the flatbed, oh, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. I've been remiss in my duties. I didn't give you the regional uh, outbound market rates. Let me give you those. Coming out of by region for dry vans, starting off in the northeastern portion of the United States, we have Philadelphia, Pennsylvania checking in, showing average spot market rates of $1.97 per mile. Moving down into the southeastern portion of the United States, we have Atlanta, Georgia checking in, showing average spot market rates at $2.22 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, we have Chicago, Illinois checking in, showing an average spot market rate of $2.63 per mile. Moving into the south central portion of the United States, we have average spot market rates for dry vans at $1.81 per mile. And moving out west to the West Coast, wrapping up the dry van report, uh, we have $2.66 on the spot market, setting the benchmark all across the nation coming out of the West Coast. Again, $2.66 per mile for dry van on the spot market. Now we will move on over, shift gears just a little bit, and jump into the U.S. flatbed demand and capacity portion of the DAT report for the week of December 10th through the 16th. Last week's flatbed load post increased 3% and truck post declined by 9%. That caused the load to truck ratio to increase 14%, moving upwards to 31.7 loads per truck nationally. The national average flatbed rate moved higher last week. Historically, compared to October, flatbed load posts were down by 29% in November. While truck posts declined 3%, that resulted in a 27% decline in the load-to-truck ratio compared to the previous month. At 29 loads per truck, the ratio was 94% higher than it was the same time in November of 2016. Let's take a minute and jump over and see how the national flatbed rates were performing over the week of December 10th through the 16th. Last week, the national average flatbed rate increased one cent for the third week in a row. 
moving to $2.32 per mile. Flatbed prices remain high for this time of the year, and last week it's just $0.02 lower than the peak in October when relief supplies were flowing to the southeast following Hurricane Irma. The flatbed load-to-truck ratio also increased last week. And we got a little bit of a glitch. Okay. Pardon me, ladies and gentlemen, we got a little bit of a technical glitch. But we may have to switch up here. Uh, there we go. The national average flatbed rate in November dipped three cents. This is historical information. The national average flatbed rate in November dipped three cents to $2.33 per mile compared to October's record high. Flatbed rates are 40 cents higher than they were this time in November of 2016. Moving around, looking at uh, flatbed spot market rates throughout the country. We show coming out of the northeastern portion of the United States, Harrisburg, PA, checking in, showing an average spot market rate of $3.91 per mile. Coming out of Atlanta, Georgia, we have spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.48 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, spot market rates for flatbeds at $2.90 per mile coming out of Rock Island. Uh, down in the south central portion of the United States, outbound spot market rates for flatbeds coming out of Houston are uh, sitting at $2.55 per mile. And on the west coast, the city of Phoenix is the representative city showing an outbound spot market rate at $1.65 per mile. Jumping back and changing gears once again, moving over to the... Uh, Reefer, uh, reefer load and uh, demand and capacity portion of the report from DAT for the week of December 10th through the 16th. Last week, reefer load post increased 3%, while truck post declined 8%. That caused the load-to-truck ratio to rise 12% to 11 loads per truck, the national average rate. For reefers fell four cents last. Historically, in November, reefer load post increased 14%, while truck post declined 2% compared to October. That caused the load to truck ratio to increase 16% to 12 loads per truck. The ratio was up 78% compared to November of 2016. Let's take and look at the national reefer rate on the outbound spot market for the week of December 10th through the 16th. After hitting three-year highs in late November, reefer rates have receded the past two weeks. Last week, the national average rate slipped four cents to $2.36 per mile. Some freight markets exceeded, <clears throat> excuse me, some freight markets experienced outbound price increases, including Fresno, California, Lakeland, Florida, uh, as the reefer load-to-truck ratio moved higher last week. Historically, in November, the national average rate for reefers was $2.43 per mile, which was $0.11 cents higher than the October average 
and the highest monthly average since June of 2014. Compared to November 2016, that rate was 47 cents higher. Taking a look around the country for reefers, the outbound spot market rate starting out in Elizabeth, New Jersey, was showing $1.99 coming out of Elizabeth, New Jersey in the northeastern portion of the United States. Moving down into the southeast, coming out of Lakeland, Florida, Florida, we show spot market rates at $1.40 per mile. Moving up into the Midwest, Green Bay, Wisconsin, setting the benchmark as usual for reefers, showing average spot market rates at $3.49 per mile. Coming out of McAllen, Texas, we have uh, the south central portion of the United States, $2.11 per mile on average coming out of McAllen. Wrapping up the, this week's VAT reefer report coming out of Fresno, California on the West Coast, showing average spot market rates for reefers at $2.52 per mile. And that, ladies and gentlemen, will wrap up the VAT report. And, uh, okay. And we have this week's bad broker report, we have a few new entries to make the list from last week. Companies that have made the list this week is 48 Express Inc. That number is 208-969. FMCSA Show Surety Bond Council. On 11-10-17, they have over $16,000 in payment complaints. Bonita Truck Brokers, Inc., that MC number is 317-771. FMCSA shows trust fund is scheduled to counsel on 1-11-18. Over $56,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. Baraka Logistics, Inc., MC number 043819. FMCSA shows surety, uh, surety fund counseled on $1,216,000 and non payment complaints have been reported. And the last to make the list, LEI Transportation Inc. or LEI Trans Inc. MC number is 672007. Almost $11,000 in non-payment complaints have been reported. They are considered an extreme risk. And that will wrap up this week's bad broker report. Without any further ado, ladies and gentlemen, let's go and bring on our uh, resident legal counsel, Mr. Hank Seaton. Hank, you're up and on board. How are you doing this week? I'm here, Rico. How about yourself? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. We are much the same. We are here, hanging in here, um, getting ready. I haven't really done much running this week, um, but what is what has been news that's coming out of Washington, D.C. that we may need to be aware of or may be put on notice about? Uh, and, and have you heard, have you had uh, many uh, calls about people dealing with uh, the new hours of service this week. Have you have you have had any spike yourself as far as uh, anybody ca calling in with any issues with the ELD mandate? Yeah, you know, Rico, we put on a uh, 
a webinar last month that was done by Jeff Davis that I think really uh, hit home to me. Uh, you know, all of the fight over about whether it goes into effect or it doesn't really mask a more important issue. And that more important issue is the effect on productivity and I think truckload and stop-off truckload in particular of strict enforcement of the ELD, <coughs> which Jeff, I think, properly said is a minute robber that uh, uh, unless the agency comes out with uh, some explanation for uh, uh, personal conveyance that gives people some level of freedom, uh, you're going to see, I think, a, a productivity dump uh, in terms of people's ability to get miles and get home, uh, probably because in, in the past people were being a little creative with the logs. But the fact of the matter is that that creativity with the log was uh, almost necessitated by scheduling problems, congestions, and other things that the uh, hours of service don't really consider. Uh, you know, I'm asking people that are uh, out here forcing strict enforcement of it, as they really have to, what they're seeing in terms of productivity problems. And they say they're seeing 15 to uh, 25 percent uh, in some cases, and that it's just becoming hell on wheels to coordinate the hours of service, uh, stop off truckload deliveries, uh, traffic congestion, and uh, not end up losing reloads during the week. Uh, all of that, I think, is going to redoubt to uh, uh, hopefully price increases, but I think it's going to fall particularly on uh, owner-operator, small carriers, one uh, one truck, one driver, because uh, the Amazon model's kind of going towards pools and pedals uh, that uh, bypasses the multiple deliveries and then I'm really frightened by uh, a series of articles in the Wall Street Journal, particularly about the way wholesale groceries are uh, cramming down uh, fines for late deliveries and insisting on making uh, every truckload carrier into an expedited carrier with penalties and fines. So I see all of that uh, converging uh, and how how the industry deals with that remains to be seen. You and I talked a little bit off offline about that in terms of uh, exercising greater discretion in terms of whose uh, freight you take. But, you know, I'd, I'd like to take the pulse of, uh, of the people on the line to see see what the, they're seeing in terms of increased pressures to make deliveries and uh, increased difficulties in terms of complying. Not because the ELD uh, doesn't accurately measure productivity, but because it just brings into focus that uh, uh, we need more flexibility to get miles and get home. Absolutely. So, ladies and gentlemen, look, we got the perfect opportunity right now for you. Uh, if you want to get in to ask a question, then uh, you can go ahead and press the number one. That'll put you in the call queue for us to get your call screen. Uh, looks like we got someone in the call queue right now. Um, Let's go ahead and just grab them really quickly. I don't have a name. I just don't think my screen I got a chance to get to you, but give us your name. You're up and on board with Rico and Hank. How can we help? Yeah, is this me? Yeah, you're on. From, 
one, two. Hey, hey, yeah, good evening, Hank and Rico. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Um, a, a couple, I just had a couple things I wanted to throw out there and see what people's feedback is. Um, for, I mean, first is, uh, as far as you talk about scheduling and appointments and, and making appointments on time and this and that, and I'm a small carrier, I got a couple trucks and I was thinking about going back and revisiting some of my broker agreements and actually putting in there, um, that I would be finding the broker, um, you know, a hundred, hundred and fifty dollars or something like that. If they gave me um, inaccurate information regarding the appointment time or pickup or something. Uh, I had a situation like that yesterday where I was told, you know, 7 a.m. to 4 p.m. anytime, show up, no problem. Um, I showed up at 9 a.m. and the guy was like, well, you're going to have to wait an hour. I, you're supposed to call an hour ahead of time. The guy's got to come in to unload you. And, uh, <clears throat> you know, like that information was never given to me by the broker. So, you know, I ended up sitting there losing, you know, another 50 minutes on my, on my 14 hours. Um, so I just feel like, you know, the, the industry have, has to change and, and, you know, somewhere from the sales rep that went out there and sold that load to the person that entered the data into the computer to the, um, rep that, you know, booked it with me somewhere in that game of telephone, that information was lost because I truly believe that the man at the place did say that to them. And, you know, like I told the broker last week, you would have never heard a peep from me about this because I could have just made the adjustment. And, you know, he's like, well, we've sent other people in there before. And I was like, yeah, if you had sent maybe a company driver in there that's on e-logs, you know, maybe their personality or, or just the type of, you know, person that they are, the kind of person that agrees to driving a truck and living in a truck for seven days for, you know, 45 cents a mile or 35 cents a mile, you know, they're, they're not, they're not the kind of person that's really thinking in terms of, you know, time is money and lost productivity in any way. Cause if they were, they wouldn't be living in a truck for six or $700 or $500 a week to begin with. Um, so that, that's one question I want, or one thought I want to put out there. And then the other one is um, I have big road is who I've selected for my ELD and that's through Nastic. And, uh, I had an issue on December 8th, uh, where I was having some problems with it. I called in, I sat on hold for uh, an hour before I was disconnected. And ultimately it was like about two and a half, three hours on three different phone calls. I was never able to get through to anybody in tech support. I did get a hold of somebody that was a sales rep who opened a ticket for me. Um, you know, and then I, I went ahead and replied that was December 8th. I've called them several times. Uh, I've sent emails, all of this, and I've, I've still not literally zero feedback. Somebody from Nastic, um, you know, they're gonna, they said that they would sit down with me on Thursday or Friday, uh, to kind of try to help me figure it out. And if not, maybe go through a back channel, but you know, here we are two weeks before I can get any kind of technical support on what my logbook is showing as a violation that I can't change or edit anything, even as an administrator. And, you know, it, it opens up the idea for me, like there's the, the FMC, I don't think anybody FMCSA has realized that they've opened a whole new can of worms here where now, not only are they regulating truck drivers and trucking companies and brokers, but they're going to have to start going in and putting in some rules for these, uh, you know, these people that are providing e-logs because 
I mean, at the end of the day, like I'm a, I'm not a software engineer, you know, I'm hiring, I'm outsourcing this service from somebody that's supposed to be approved to do it. And I can't even get any kind of support whatsoever. So what am I supposed to do? Just close my business for three weeks while I wait for them to get back to me or, you know what I mean? So um, yeah, listen, you've you you've got a, a a number of excellent good questions. Let me take the 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 uh, last one first. Uh, okay, I've you know I've met with the people with at, at Big Road. I think I think they're honest. I think they've got a good technology. I know that Nastic went into them uh, uh, after a review of what is there. I I think we've got to have uh, some appreciation for what has actually occurred. The agency has traditionally been the little shepherd boy who calls wolf, and then the wolf isn't at the door. So I think that what happened with the ELD and the Babbitt Amendment and everything else is uh, it, it was a political issue until the last minute. My guess is that thousands, if not tens of thousands of carriers, maybe even 100,000 carriers, all tried to jump into getting the ELD at the last minute, and that uh, uh, there was no way to put in a call line to to keep everybody happy. So I probably wouldn't judge uh, Big Road's uh, commitment to the industry based upon the problems you've got. Uh, I do understand very well, though, the agency's uh, uh, lackadaisical attitude towards uh, getting on top of this. The, the fact that you've got the AOBRs that are going to be around for a couple of years gives a straddle to some people. Uh, the agency obviously came up with this soft landing idea uh, about, yeah, you got to have it on the uh, in December, but it may not be enforced until April. So I, I think you're not the only one that's uh, going through this time warp. I think what I would I think what I would probably do, and I, I've seen some of this in in writing uh, from the agency, is if you if you've got to take a variation, be candid and honest with them. I think probably what I would do if I couldn't get the damn thing to work right, uh, I, I'd probably get out the the old uh, uh, Rods book and tell my independent contractor, look, you keep your uh, you keep your you keep your logbook if this thing isn't accurate, and you make paper notes in terms of where you are and when you are. And then if you get stopped or you get fined, what I'd want to do is to go to court and say, "Look, they made us put this damn thing in. It doesn't work. I tried to call the folks. I knew I had to be accountable for my hours of service. Here's my rods. They're backed up with, uh, uh, you know, other." Uh, extrinsic things, just like they were before the ELD. Uh, you know, you may cite me for whatever you want, but you can't cite me for not having the ELD, and you can't cite me for violating the hours of service. Uh, the rest of it is, uh, if you want to find me, I'm going to turn it over to Big Road, because they're going to have to pay the fine. I'm going to file a data queue on it, and uh, I think I'm one of tens of thousands of other people who are going through the same technology war. I think I think that as a backup until you get this thing straightened out would certainly give you something other than throw up your hands or not truck. And uh, 
I think you're probably not the only person who's who, who's in that uh, uh, th that point of view. Uh, so hopefully, hopefully I've given you some some help on at least what I do with that first uh, or that second issue. I think your first issue is really a harder one because the broker industry and the the, the, the Krogers of the world are so used to saying this is my uh, this is my contract, take it or leave it. That you know your ability to come in and put in a contract that uh, 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 something to the effect if you don't uh, uh, give me a time, I can come in for 24 hours or whatever is going to be really tough. The issue is people are are trying to get really serious about free time and say, look, I'm going to give you a, a, an hour's worth of free time. Uh, and after that, you're going to pay me 90 bucks an hour, and I'm going to use my my ELD to track that. Uh, obviously, the, the the larger carriers are going to the shipper and saying, look, uh, you know, maybe you want me to drop and hook here, uh, and maybe you want me to put an extra, an extra truck in here, a trailer in here for your convenience, and oh, by the way, I'll just bill you four or $500 a month for that extra trailer and say, there's your outlet pass, but I'm not going to sit and wait. Uh, for those that don't have extra trailers and aren't able to do that, uh, detention is about the only way I know to do it. Obviously, my concern is that if they give you a, a transit time uh, and you're trying to use your equipment productively and they say if you don't make it by 6 o'clock p.m., uh, you're, you're out of luck, you're probably going to on a on a you know 500 600 mile haul, particularly coming through congested cities, have to blow off getting there by four o'clock so you don't miss a six o'clock appointment because of a wreck, a crash, or whatever. And then you know that scheduled delivery without that open window is just ripping you in terms of driving time. You have to get there two hours early, then they're an hour hour and a half late, late uh, delaying you. You're out of your time block. You got to take ten hours off duty. You know where it's all coming. Uh, yeah. I'm old enough to remember when the ICC in the uh, 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 late '70s set mandatory detention requirements, which said that all shippers would load you or unload you up on delivery during ordinary business hours. You get one hour of free time, and then you get paid. Uh, hell, it may have been twenty-five bucks an hour. It wasn't a lot. But at least it, uh, uh, they were able to get all those shippers uh, uh, to have to confirm and change their, um, their procedures. I was talking to a friend this past week who uh, represents only shippers, and he's, he's an honest, straight guy. And he said what they're, what they're asking is just, not, is just not feasible. They're jamming it down people simply because they can't. And it's a whole lot more expensive to tie up a, a truck and a driver uh, uh, than it is to add a third shift or to increase the size of your inventory. And I think that's ultimately what's going on. We're getting it jammed down our throats because they can. Uh, you know, I'm not trying to suggest we all uh, organize and uh, establish a mandatory detention and and uh, uh, collude on how this is handled, but I just I just really think that uh, uh, small carriers are getting set up for a, a, 
a, a real headache, particularly in terms of making stop-off truckloads uh, deliveries move. I've had uh, uh, cases, one case in the past uh, uh, 30 days, guy picked up a load of broccoli and uh, he wasn't allowed on the dock and the broccoli was loaded and obviously it was loaded hot. And uh, uh, when he got to destination, it was rejected because they pulped the broccoli, even though the uh, uh, the temperature in his trailer was fine. They said, you know, go stick the broccoli where the sun doesn't shine. And when we unraveled the whole thing with the broker, we could really show that uh, the supplier was under such pressure to get that broccoli to market that he didn't get a chance to cool it down. So it was... uh, uh, what they call inherent vice, it it was going to show uh, temperature damage when it got to destination through no fault of the carrier. So I, th- I, I see this kind of scenario playing out, and really haste is making waste. Uh, uh, there's, there's only only so much that uh, a truckload carrier can do uh, consistent with the hours of service, and I think just too much is being asked of them. You know, you can publish tariffs, you can publish the service terms and conditions, and you can attach them to each, each contract. Now, whether the, the, uh, the shipper is or the broker is going to need you so desperately he accepts it remains to be seen. But I would certainly recommend that you have a accessorial page that says uh, uh, free time, one hour upon arrival during business hours, detention. $90 an hour or whatever it is thereafter, uh, uh, reasonable dispatch provided only unless otherwise expressly agreed in writing. Things like that that would basically uh, set the parameters of service terms that you could enforce and would at least sponsor you to figure out on the front end what kind of SOB you're dealing with if he wasn't willing to abide by it. Because clearly you need to smoke whether or not the guy is going to close it at 2 o'clock on Friday afternoon, leaving you with a Monday morning delivery. And if, if that's what you're getting yourself in for, uh, service terms like that would, would help precipitate it. Traditionally, uh, carriers have been treated like mushrooms and haven't been uh, given the opportunity to tease that kind of thing out. But I think it's becoming uh, it's becoming more important. Uh, as Rico mentioned, you know, some people you just... Uh, <coughs> Begin to realize that that, that, that retailer uh, uh, is uh, is a is a bear to serve, and you just turn it down. You had any uh, any any follow up on that one? No, I I don't. I I really appreciate um, the the feedback. <laughs> and, I mean, I, I I'm really hoping that I, I mean I'm really not one to just kind of to lay over and get pushed around. I mean, if I was, I, I wouldn't be doing what I'm doing. I'd just go, you know, jump in a swift truck and, you know, don't go wherever I was told, but, uh, I'm kind of hoping that more people that in my position are, are starting to kind of, you know, put the same pressure on the, the shippers and receivers and the brokers. And just, just like you say, walk away from the bad ones so that the market kind of weeds them out as it is. Well, yeah, yeah I, I, I mean, I've got, I've got a few. I, I don't really want to name them on the radio, but I got a few what I'd call bad brokers, and it's not because they don't pay on time. 
it's because of abusive claims procedures and uh, you know the attitude that they've got the gold so they rule and they can unilaterally offset the cargo claims and tell you to go pound sand. And uh, right. you know, and hopefully, I, it, it, hopefully, you know, we need rules of commerce though that say, look, we're not going to be adversaries. We're going to treat each other fair, and we're going to understand what risk proposal it poses on the good carrier. You know, these people who just think that you know you're 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 a one load Charlie, and uh, you know if there's a cargo claim, we'll give you three loads, and then hold up your pay. Uh, they need to be called out. You know, yeah. hey, this brings up a whole nother uh, a whole nother uh, scenario that I wanted to maybe uh, I, I don't know maybe we, we so something that I noticed before I did I did a little research once and I was looking at the TIA and you know they're supposed to be uh, one of the things that they're in their charter they're supposed to be held to this high ethical standard but yet and still I, I've never I've never when I go through and I try to find anybody that's kind of been kicked out of the TIA association for violation of any type of ethical uh, business practices or whatever I've yet to find one broker that has ever uh, uh, met that criteria to be to be dis, uh, disbarred or kicked out of the TIA and and I'm just is that just pretty writing that they put on their charter to, to, to make it seem like there's some type of ethical organization, or does that thing really have any teeth to it at all? Well, that, that they would certainly prune out of the TIA, at least I would hope so. Uh, anyone who was, uh, was a scam artist, who was guilty of double brokering, who, uh, 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 failed basic course in ethics, which is to uh, uh, lie, cheat, and steal. Uh, but I, I, I do think this: they come up with a standard contract that uh, you know is uh, it, it is pretty acceptable. But they recognize and they they tout that when it comes to contract terms and conditions, uh, you can be a member of TIA and uh, put in a contract that uh, uh, if there's a broken seal, you bought the load. You can be a member of TIA and put in a contract that the carrier waives subrogation and uh, uh, waives inspection and, uh, and and salvage, and that the shipper can just trash whatever he wants. Uh, and uh, uh, you can put in a TIA contract that uh, particularly coming out of the produce industry, that the, the, the truck broker reserves the right to withhold payment. And, uh, you know, if, if all of those procedures are uh, acceptable because uh, the broker has the right to ask and the carrier uh, must uh, uh, accept it or turn it down, then, you know, you don't really have an ethical complaint. It's just that it is a it is a practice that's governed by the marketplace that really is uh, uh, is unfair because the whole idea of giving a load to somebody that you know has got a lot of insurance and isn't going to cover uh, a theft and it's a high theft load. I mean, you know, if the carrier doesn't have enough sense to know that, then certainly the broker does. Uh, you know, similarly, if you if you understand that the carrier doesn't have uh, 
uh, reefer breakdown, at least, or, or uh, coverage for uh, uh, temp damage, and you give him a, a load, knowing full well that your recourse is going to be to give him three more and then withhold the load. Uh, if it says that in writing, it's buyer beware. And, you know, I don't know that any trade association is going to kick somebody out if he's, uh, if he's being truthful. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that your recourse is really to, to TIA. Uh, uh, that's, those are issues, though, when I see uh, folks talking about their, uh, uh, their high ethics and their membership in, uh, in, in, in TIA or whatever other it is as credentials, and then I see them uh, uh, mistreating uh, carriers, uh, you know, I've got an individual problem with those guys. You know, they're they're members. Similarly, they're members of ATA that that don't uh, they don't abide by the truth in leasing regulations, and that's why we have such a problem. Right. There are rules there, at least in uh, in the owner operator arena, that require candor and require give you uh, you the carrier a recourse if what you sign doesn't meet a, a regulatory standard. There are no similar uh, uh, laws there to uh, protect. A, uh, uh, a carrier against what it signs. When they passed deregulation, <clears throat> they went from a very highly regulated situation <clears throat> to letting the marketplace govern. And one of the things you guys will see in contracts is waivers subject to 14101B. And you'll say, what in the heck is that? It's a provision of the law that lets two contracting parties to waive every duty, obligation, and rule of commerce except safety laws when you sign a broker contract. So you've got to realize it can be the worst kind of an adhesion contract. And, you know, if you're stuck in Keokuk and you want to get home with mama and the only load is from somebody that says, if you don't get it there on time and plew perfect and you assume that risk, then, uh, uh, you know, you're going to have to pay the consequences. Cross your fingers and yeah, boogie down the road. I always found that strange that, you know, uh, I, and, and that's not to try to say, you know, uh, I, I just was saying that it would be nice to see some of these agencies or whatever hold some of their members kind of like, you know, re- really stand for what it is that they say that they stand for. Um, and, and I know you got bad apples in, in, in all situations, but I just kind of, it was just kind of, crazy to see that out of all the situations that I've seen um, that, you know, that no, I've, I've yet to see anyone ever get kicked out for, for, for any anything as far as violating that. And I just found that I, I know for a fact that there were, there are several different uh, things that probably could fall under that, but I just, I, I just kind of found that a little, little weird, screwy and strange all at the same time. Um, well, you know, I've, uh, I've, tried, I've tried over the years to grade insurance companies because some of the policies that some of the insurers uh, uh, give to carriers, particularly on cargo insurance, are unconscionable. If it were a product liability, if it were selling a tire, nobody would let you sell a tire that defective because those insurance policies just have these uh, great big holes on it. But Every one of those underwriters uh, 
is 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 party to the same uh, uh, the same club, and you know each one that says, well, it's my I'm in the place I assess the risk, and if somebody wants the insurance, they get what they sign, and that's that's unfortunate, but. Uh, uh, you know, that's one reason that I'm not trying to tout the book necessarily, but that I've spent so much time trying to come up with the dirty dozen. Or the, now I think it's probably up to 18, which is provisions in the contract that uh, you really need to cross out or, or bend over one or the other because uh, they are just uh, uh, draconian. I got one that I, I think you guys would find rather humorous. Uh, it's actually uh, uh, for someone that provides prior or subsequent movement by air, and the shipper uh, wanted him to, uh, if there was a dispute, to go to a foreign country to litigate it, and the foreign country happened to be the country that owned the airline. That's what you call an absolute homer. You know, if you've got a, if you've got a, 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 a payment dispute on service provided in the U.S., go off to Nigeria somewhere to litigate it and have the, the guy that owns the, the, uh, the shipper be the one who calls the balls and strikes. But that kind of stuff goes on uh, in, in uh, Homer's hair. I think that, you know, I could, I could name certain cities and towns and you guys would quickly get the idea because you've seen enough contracts that have these Homer provisions in it to know that if he has the right to keep your money, and the only way you get it is to hire a lawyer to go to his home home jurisdiction and and and, and uh, fight over five grand. You just uh, basically have to throw up your hands. And you know, I try to I try to talk to, to shippers and brokers and say, look, let's arbitrate, let's mediate, let's have a simple way to resolve the proceeding. That doesn't mean the carrier has to wait for six months to to get before a judge and then hope he wins. It, it's, uh, it, it's, uh, the legal system is, 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 uh, is not something that I, that I want to defend, particularly when it comes to handling a, 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 smaller, a, a smaller suit. And that's why, you know, an ounce of precaution is worth a pound of cure in terms of what you sign. Right. Well, hey, we got about 15 minutes left in the show, and I want to kind of shift gears a little bit Taking a look forward, because uh, this is going to be the last time we get you, we, we have you before the year uh, changes over from uh, 20, 2017 going into 2018. Um, what are some things that are coming down the pipe that uh, coming up next year, some things that we, uh, uh, us smaller guys might need to be mindful of and things that we might need to, uh, you know, kind of have an eye looking towards the future that we need to be preparing ourselves for? Well, the real thing that concerns me is uh, we got this tax bill passed now, but the current administration has said that they are really looking into regulatory reform uh, to help the little guy. Uh, we haven't seen it yet at the FMCSA. We have a, a regulatory reform agenda over there that uh, uh, would uh, – in this competitive advantage, the big guys prosper and the little guys don't have a fair chance. But so far, uh, we haven't gotten a particularly receptive year. One thing that uh, kind of scared me is Transport Topics reports that uh, the uh, agency is going to come out with uh, 
SMS methodology on steroids next year by trying to adopt the IRT model, which uh, would say that your safety isn't just dependent upon roadside inspection, it's dependent upon your method of payment, your turnover, uh, a, a whole bunch of uh, really invasive things that uh, is aimed right at the independent contractor model and the owner-operator model. It's interesting to me that <coughs> one of the guys on the National Academies of Science board who got his opinion in the report is uh, a guy whose background is in uh, uh, being a, a, a union driver who uh, who thinks that uh, everybody should be paid by the hour and that a carrier who's paid by productivity or guy who's paid uh, 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 by by the by the load or by the mile is an inherently unsafe carrier and should be downgraded in SMS methodology for for inspection and prosecution. Well, I mean, you know, you got to think about that. Uh, is is that really because there's any study that says that uh, an hourly wage guy is a safer guy, or is it because of this uh, paternalistic idea? that everybody needs to uh, uh, be paid uh, wage an hour and that uh, entrepreneurship is dead, that, you know, the union card is, a, uh, is the gateway to middle-class success. And, you know, I, I'm concerned that uh, with that dysfunctional uh, House and Senate we've got, that there are people that are, are, are saying that, uh, uh, well, the guy wrote a book and it's called Sweatshop on Wheels. I think that's a very objective topic. Uh, the, 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 idea, it, the idea is that everybody on this call uh, is probably uh, uh, in involuntary servitude because he's, because he's incentivized to get miles and get home. Well, I mean, you know, what parallel universe is that point of view? When you see, uh, and don't believe that people don't read USA Today and the Gannett Papers, you know, are continually trying to crim criminalize the owner-operator model in California. I just see uh, that, uh, uh, you know, we're kind of at a tipping point. And it, at some point, uh, uh, the small guys are not effectively organized, and uh, we certainly aren't getting our due in the press in terms of these kinds of issues. We'll be trying next year. Uh, certainly when they come out with the uh, IRT model and uh, if uh, some of that hits the press, and I think it will in the first six months, to use things like uh, uh, the Motor Carrier Regulatory Reform page and uh, uh, point out that, uh, hey, look, uh, don't kill small businesses in the process of trying to uh, uh, claim we've got a, a a safer entity. Uh, from my point of view, I told Rico this, the idea that they uh, even thinking about putting on the website that if you get rear-ended that the FMCSA had determined that this was a, a preventable accident is crazy. They don't have the manpower. They don't have the resource. Publishing that kind of thing <coughs> is only going to sell you, send your insurance through the roof. I had a, uh, a gal call me today said, what can you do? My insurer has doubled my insurance rate 
and she gave me the the, the pettiest two uh, uh, examples of things that were on her CSA scores uh, that uh, really really weren't her fault and weren't reflective of of any kind of uh, of violation, but an excuse for the insurance company to say, "Look, you're going to go on up to." Twelve or thirteen thousand dollars a unit. Well, that's real money, and the insurance companies are scared to death that uh, uh, you know some small carrier will be involved in an accident, and that they can't settle it for what it's worth, and it'll have to go uh, uh, nuclear up to a million dollars because plaintiff's bar wants to claim that uh, that the carrier was involved in a preventable accident. for which there was no real even insurance reserve because it wasn't the carrier's fault. So I see all of these kinds of injustices. I'd like to say I had a game plan for uh, uh, making it easy uh, uh, to protest it. All I can say is I think we're going to have to look at that and hang together and uh, kick against the pricks. See, I see. Uh, anything else coming down the pike for? Uh um twenty eighteen that um uh, I noticed you had made mention about the uh uh uh, uh the uh food safety modernization act. Yeah, uh last year uh we uh publicized that the food safety modernization act went into effect last April. <coughs> In theory it initially applied only to carriers over twenty seven point five million and there was much consternation by the shippers <coughs> in terms of how they were going to get all carriers to comply. As one might expect, most carriers uh, figured, oh, well, they don't mean it and didn't do a whole lot about it. Uh, the first anniversary date is going to be the date in which everybody over half a million in revenue has to apply. And I'm, I'm getting uh, uh, backstreet noise from smaller shippers uh, and brokers that now they're really getting worried about how do they do their due diligence. They're they're used to being uh, sued if uh, the carrier they hire is involved in the cargo accident, involved in an accident, getting concerned about, well, gee, what do they have to uh, do to ensure that the refrigerated carrier is uh, providing sanitary service? So I think there'll be, there's definitely going to be a new push to see that all carriers get the training. If you are a reefer carrier, the uh, uh, FDA now has the training online, and they have guidance. It's not something that you just need to throw up your hands and say you you can't do. Uh, uh, you're going to need to be able to demonstrate that you have trained your drivers and that you're certified. And that gets back into the uh, uh, Uniform Food Safety Protocol. We've got about 500 uh, uh, signatories on it. These are people who certify that they have uh, been through the training who warrant that they'll uh, comply with the the clean trailer requirements and uh, the downloadable reefer. And also they provide a copy of their uh, uh, certificate of insurance. The idea is that uh, large brokers, uh, several of them have already done it, are sending out notices to their contracting carriers that <coughs> says, hey, look, we want to vet you through this. And 
you participating will give you uh, access in the spot market when people start asking, how can you demonstrate that, uh, uh, that you know how to handle these perishable materials? So I think it's kind of like uh, uh, what happened with the broker bond. Everybody uh, uh, held off, figuring the agency would postpone it. And then uh, by the time it came around the second year, people got in compliance. FDA is not going to roll back this April for the small guys. Uh, it's nothing like the ELD. It's not nearly that invasive. Uh, There's not going to be a lot of people out on the road trying to inspect you. But it is uh, going to scare uh, uh, the shippers and the brokers. The other thing that's key is if you're in that industry uh, and you're interested, uh, Give me a back channel email and I'll send you a, a webinar we did. Uh, it's important that you realize if somebody tells you that he's got the right to reject, crush, and dump uh, a load of produce simply because the seal is broken or because it might be contaminated, he's not telling you what the law requires. The law requires that if it could be contaminated, it must be inspected. The old idea that you can't... Uh, uh, sell uh, salvage to Front Street uh, or, or anyone else who will inspect it and certify it's fit for human consumption, uh, it still prevails. And uh, it just frustrates me no end to see perfectly good food stuff that's got a salvage value, even if it's for uh, the homeless, is merely uh, burned to a cinder and the carriers bill for it. So that's that's another area which I think a lot of small carriers are involved in, and it is really a risk proposition. So you might be you might be keeping that on your agenda. That will come up in April, which uh, geez, just around the corner. Right, right. Well, Hank, we want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to come and join us here on the Rates and Lanes podcast. Had a little bit of a snafu tonight. I I, I kind of messed up something on my end. Uh, we're going to try to see if we can get that recovered. No big deal on that. Um, but um, just want to thank you again, Hank, and for everybody listening in that's still on the line. Uh, if you want to get in contact with Hank, you want to uh, get more information from him, of course, one way is always go to his website, transportationlaw.net. You can catch him over there. All the contact information is up and available over there. We encourage everyone to uh, order Hank's book, new book, Rules of the Road. That's, uh, you can find a copy of that and, and uh, get a discount uh, over on transcomply.com. That's another uh, place where you can find information from Hank and his partner. They have some uh, really good information up over there at transcomply. You can sign up to uh, RSS, get the RSS feed from that site as well. They publish uh, news information and all types of stuff over there at TransComply. Uh, so once again, we want to thank Hank for taking time out of his schedule to come and join us and give uh, us little guys some information. Hank, anything you want to say before as we're closing out? No, just I uh, hear the storms are coming. Everybody uh, drive safe and spend time with your family and talk to you next month. Absolutely. We appreciate it again. Thanks, thanks again, Hank. Um, and we want to thank Kevin and Lisa Rutherford and the entire Let's Truck team for helping provide us with the platform to bring this show to you guys. want to send a shout out and thanks to uh, Fatina for taking her time to screen phone calls, even though she has to study for finals. 
uh, this week. Uh, thank you again, Patina. And uh, ladies and gentlemen, we'll talk to you guys same time, same place next week. God bless you. Good night. Keep it in between the mustard and the mayonnaise. Thanks for joining us on Rates and Lanes. If you like what you heard here, leave us a rating and review on iTunes or listen to our other shows at audioroad.letstruck.com. To get in touch with our tribe, call us at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Thanks for joining us for the ride down the audio road.